welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. Going to go to the Word of God. Going to have a look today at a parable and a story that you may be familiar with, but I want to look at it in a deeper manner today, if that's okay with you. Let me start off by uh, talking to you about a study that was done in 2012 of Australian Christians, and it revealed that only three out of every 10 Christians in Australia believe that they are going to heaven because they are saved by grace. Three out of every 10 Christians in Australia in 2012 believed that they were going to heaven because they were saved by grace. You say, what about the rest? Well, 7.7% believe that we're going to heaven because they've been involved in their religion. A a further 26% believe that they were going to go to heaven because they tried to be a good person. 5.6% believe there was no afterlife. 14% had an other belief. And 24% were unsure. Interesting, don't you think? It's interesting because another study done recently by the Bible, uh, by the Centre for Bible Engagement found this after surveying 40,000 US citizens between the age of 8 and 80. And this is what they discovered in regards to Bible engagement. I found this study so enlightening because it's a lot like other things that you might engage in in life. And engagement for the purpose of definition was a 20-minute time of study, reading or receiving the Word with your fixed attention, focused attention. That could include opening your Bible app on a Sunday while the preacher's preaching and staying focused on the text that is being delivered. So today you are getting one Bible engagement. Are you with me? The study looked at Bible engagement across those 40,000 people aged between 8 and 80 and this is what it discovered and it actually wasn't looking for this but it became the main thing that they discovered out of the study. Those people that engaged with their Bible once a week showed no significant change in behaviour. Those people that engaged with their Bible twice a week showed no significant behaviour that would represent a follower of Christ. Zero change. When a person engaged with the Bible three times a week on average, there was no significant change. However, there was like a heartbeat. Now this became very interesting for me in the study because I discovered years ago that when you want to make any kind of change, physical change, health change in the gym, I was going three times a week and seeing really no change at all. This is what the study discovered. When people began to engage in their Bible four times a week, the change in behaviour and the move towards Christ-likeness changed significantly exponentially, would you like to hear the results? Here they are. Some of you might be saying, no, don't tell me where my life's about to change. Those who engaged in their Bible four times a week or more, feeling of loneliness dropped 30%. 
Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. The feeling of spiritual stagnation dropped 60%. Viewing porn dropped 61%. That's an important statistic. Sharing faith went up 200% and discipling of others went up 230%. Incredible. Recently, I made the commitment to do the one-year Bible with Nikki Gumbel and it, was, it wasn't made simply. I, I made a commitment, started on the 1st of Jan. I was flying along great. January 10, January 11, feeling pretty chaffed. I was even a day ahead sometimes. Then I had a birthday this week and somehow fell off the wagon and found myself on Friday three days behind. And so I did my catch up. I spent my hour and a half to catch up and I posted the link on my Instagram story and a very well-known travelling minister who if I mentioned you would probably know them, they replied back and went, oh, dang, I'm already 10 days behind. How am I going to catch up? And I just posted back. I says, don't try and catch up. Just get back on the wagon today. Just get back there today. And as you can, pick up those other 10 days and be sure I'll keep you accountable. But I say that because it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in the pew or ministering from the pulpit. One of the things that happens today is the very things that are important and powerful in our everyday life seem to slip away because of pressures and responsibilities. And I'm here today to encourage you that in 2020, the most powerful thing you can do so that you can fulfil your destiny, the most powerful thing that you can do so that you can have a healthy mind, the most powerful thing that you can do to have healthy relationships, the most powerful thing that you can do to manifest the salvation of Christ in your own life is engage in the Bible in an authentic manner. I thought I was going to get this really big round of applause and celebration. You know, some believe in a once saved and always saved doctrine. I don't. Because Jesus taught a continuance in salvation depends on a continued obedient faith in Christ. So today I want to ask you to take another look at this story in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. It's commonly called the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you ready? Let's go. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I find it so interesting that Jesus did not say, what do you read? But how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Then the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Very interesting. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, before we jump ahead 
And before you jump ahead of the game and assume that I'm going to talk to you today about being a good Samaritan to your neighbour and how you can be a loving person to others, before you go ahead and jump there, can I ask you just to stop for a moment and pause and look at this Scripture in a fresh way. Now, I'm not discounting that God has called us to be good Samaritans. Whenever we read a text like this and listen to the principles and stories that Jesus taught, there is always the surface message that everyone can understand. But as we looked at last Sunday night and a few times over the last few weeks, Jesus said that when it comes to the secrets of the kingdom, they are only revealed. They are only revealed once you have entered into the kingdom and begun to engage in relationship with Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? So to get started this morning, the good Samaritan in this story is Jesus. Yes, we're to do the same as Him, but there's a much deeper message. Reading on in verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem to, down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. I want you to recognise here this morning that he soothed his wounds with olive oil and with wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Not only in this story is the good Samaritan Jesus, but the Jewish man who was beat up, stripped and left half, dead, left half dead is actually you and me. Stripped of our possessions, thrown into poverty by the enemy, beat up with sickness, left half dead with spiritual death because of sin. This man had experienced the full impact of the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. The innkeeper in this story is the Holy Spirit. The inn is the church. The bandit is the devil and his cohorts. In verse 35, we read, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here, oh my goodness. If you, if you can have a look at the deeper story, Jesus hands over two pieces of silver to the innkeeper, the Holy Spirit, and says, if the bill runs higher, if the price that I paid on the cross was not enough, if the healing's incomplete and they're still broken, whatever the price is, I'll pay it on my return. Now, which of these three would say, would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, go now and do the same. What a revelation. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. 
Do you know when Jesus redeemed you on the cross, He redeemed you for your past sins and your future sins. And there is no sin greater than the grace of God to redeem you from the clutches of hell. Can somebody say Amen? The oil and the wine, two major works of the Holy Spirit are revealed here in this portion of Scripture. The innkeeper is the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go in Scripture, oil is a type and shadow of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, oil was used to anoint priests and kings for ministry. Here's what you need to understand about the Old Testament. When you see anything taking place, powerful things going on, kings or priests, they were anointed by the Holy Spirit for that moment. They never experienced the indwelling of God like we do today, but the Spirit would come on them for service and for ministry. And oil was used as a type and a symbol for that. When Jesus spoke about the good Samaritan first rubbing oil into the wounds, He was actually talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and rescue that Jewish man from his position of being beat up by the enemy. It represents the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you look in the Scripture, in the, in the Gospels, the story that Jesus told of the 10 virgins, five wise and five foolish. The five wise virgins had oil in their lamps and were granted access into the wedding feast. When you look at that, when you are born again and receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the journey of sanctification begins. When you look at it further, you find that those five wise virgins having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, having the oil that they required, that was all that was required for access into the wedding feast. And here I'm in to tell you today, all that's required for you for access into eternal life is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Oil and wine. But I really just wanna talk to you about new wine today, if that's okay. There's so much we could look at in this story and the way my mind and study is going currently. I think we might spend some time on this whole parable, but, but when we look at wine, it actually represents for us today something powerful for our future. The epistles instruct us to call the elders of the church when we're sick. Have you looked at it? I'm trying to find in my memory bank the portion of Scripture that it comes from. I think it's in James where it says, if any of among you are sick, call the elders of the church, have them come and pray for you, anointing you with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. You know, I'm always amazed in modern church how so few people make access to that very powerful thing that can take place, that when you get sick and you haven't overcome yourself, you can call for the elders of the church to come to your house, pray for you, anoint you with oil. And the Bible says that the healing power of God is released into your life during that moment. Do you know why? Because we're supposed to understand as followers of Christ today that when you are anointed with oil, in the Old Testament, you were anointed to be a priest or a king. In the New Testament, we are both priests and kings. And His anointing has come down on our heads and flown down our garments. And today we are priests and kings before God. When I get sick and I don't overcome by my own faith, it's simply for, because I forget that I'm a priest and a king and I can command these things to be so. And I've forgotten that. Are you with me? anointed with oil, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. But then when it comes to the wine, 
wine representing not just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That is a game changer. That is a game changer for victorious Christian living. Let me say it to you this way. It is true that wine as an element of the Holy Communion represents the redemptive power of the blood of Christ. But the New Testament goes on to reveal that wine also represents the intoxicating power of the Holy Spirit to change the very nature of an individual into the likeness of Christ, empowered to live holy and powerfully. Jesus poured in oil and wine. Jesus said you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Why did he say that? I love what Kenneth Woost says about that verse. He said, where Jesus said you don't put new wine into old wineskins, but you put them into new wineskins. You put just made wine into wineskins new in quality. I know this is a bit deep for Australia Day, but I think it's going to help you. And I've got like 70% of your attention. I just want to grab the other 30. And they're all sitting on the front row. So I'm coming back up here to get you, get them attention. Here's oil and wine. Somebody say oil and wine. Olive oil. Olive oil is good for you apparently. When the wineskin went dry and old and cracked, they'd get oil and rub it into the wineskin to make it soft and usable again. Prior to Christ, you're an old wineskin, dried up, beat up, cracked up by the enemy. When you gave your life to Christ, Jesus applied the oil to make you soft and usable again. The problem with that is that most of us got to that position and went, I've made it. I now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God is with me. I'm all good. Well, that's actually like saying that a wineskin has completed its purpose after it's had oil rubbed in made soft and pliable again and ready to receive oil. But actually, that wineskin has not fulfilled its purpose until it's been made ready to receive and then been filled with the wine so that it can be a carrier of the life of God to others. You see, you're not supposed to just get to a place where you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but you and I become powerful when we move to a place where we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and then go around our life actually being poured out into others. And I would say to you today that there's some of us amongst us today, some, let me say respectfully, brothers and sisters, there's some of us mature that knew about all this and actually engaged in all this in our early days, but somewhere along the line, we stopped getting refilled by the Holy Spirit. And our wineskin has become dry, cracked and crusty. And you wonder why there's a few cracked brothers and sisters around 
the place, a few dry brothers and sisters around the place. And I would say today that Jesus wants to come with the oil of His Holy Spirit, soften you up again, fill in the cracks and get you ready for a fresh filling of new wine so that you can become powerful again. I believe with all of my heart that when the Scriptures say, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, that literally God is saying to us, you do need new wine. But it's not the wine that is served as a Shiraz or Cabernet. It's not the wine that's served over a counter, but it's the wine that's served over the seals of heaven by the Spirit of God Himself that can intoxicate you to a degree that can change you forever and make you powerful. That you should be a person who intoxicates others, but not with the Spirit that's served over a counter, but the Spirit that's served over the Word of God and flows from the throne of heaven. Feeling like I'm getting my black on. I wish I could. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit lived in a temple made with hands. When Jesus rose from the dead, the veil in the temple was torn in two. That was not just to let us in, it was also to let the Holy Spirit out. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was limited in the Old Testament. He always, he's always limited when he's contained within a temple. No, don't miss that. The Holy Spirit is always limited when he's contained within a temple. This is what the New Testament says. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not meant to contain Him. You are meant to pour Him out. How can you pour Him out if you've not been filled? Hello, somebody. How can you bring a refreshing if you've not been refreshed? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament actually isn't a downpour from heaven. It's an outpouring from believers. Hello, somebody. You've got to understand that. Prior to receiving Jesus personally as Lord and Saviour, you were half dead like this Jewish man. But when you believe upon Jesus, receive forgiveness of sins, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and your spiritual life begins. If you are born again, you're prepared. Now let the Lord fill you with wine so that you can do what He designed you to do. Once you are born again, He wants to pour the wine in to complete your empowered life, salvation, inheritance. It's really important to understand that. I'm coming into land so the romantic music players can come. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is wine. It's really interesting when you begin to study. You know, (laughs) I'll never win lotto, but if I did, this is what I would do. Honestly. I'd take five years off and I'd just go deeper into some of the studies here and I'd study and preach, study and preach. That's all I'd do. Because today, the last part of Mark chapter 16 in the Gospels is under a lot of controversy today. If you study. Most people want to stop at verse 15 and simply end there with go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Because after verse 15 comes the Great Commission where it says, You'll cast out demons in my name. You'll take up serpents. You can drink anything deadly and it won't harm you. 
You'll lay hands on the sick and you will recover. None of the controversy comes from those first four statements that I just made. All of the controversy comes from, and they will speak with new tongues. And they will speak with new tongues. It's all about the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I'm not up here this morning to beat the Pentecostal drum or the charismatic drum. I'm up here this morning to preach the Gospel. And this is what I would say to you if you have fallen under that influence. Number one, if you've fallen under the influence that causes you to resist the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of speaking in tongues, I would say forget that controversy and just get filled and let God flow through you. Get filled and let God use you to cast out demons. Let Him use you to lay your hands on the sick. Let Him use you to get in those precarious situations where He rescues you from and you just turn around after and go, oh my goodness. I can introduce you to individuals in this church who have partaken of deadly poison that's been administered to them. But because they bowed their head and prayed to God, nothing happened to them. Because it's not just the indwelling of God that we need, it's the infilling of God that we need for powered living. Hello, somebody. And the indwelling happens by the grace of God, but the infilling happens by engagement with God in relationship. And we engage with God through prayer. We engage with God through worship, but we engage with God most of all, most powerfully by taking the Word of God as our own substance on a daily basis. The second thing I'd encourage you to do is to attempt to pray for 26 people in a row. Here's my challenge. Because if you don't think you need the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the, with, with the manifestation of a supernatural prayer language, can we forget tongues? Can we forget unknown tongues and all those things, those controversies surrounding them and just understand this, that when we get filled with the Spirit, here's the manifestation, a supernatural prayer life. Okay, so actually you think God's listening to your prayers because you're speaking words. Right? Let me give you a newsflash. God does not listen to your prayers because you speak words. God is spirit. So you've got to speak spirit language. The only way you can, there's only one of two ways you can speak spirit language by the supernatural tongues that's been given to you or by speaking in line with the word of God. That's the spiritual language of God. Are you with me? God wants to give you a supernatural prayer language. My challenge with you is if you don't think you need that supernatural language, try getting to the place where a demand is put on you and 20 sick people in a row are put in front of you and you've got to pray for every single one of them so they can connect with God. I found I can do it almost in my own power. Not, but almost. One, two, three, but when four, he's kind of going to let, he's getting like the last drips of any kind of oil that's left in my life. Are you with me? And thank God for that supernatural power given to me to pray that keeps the oil flowing at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, all the way down as far as it needs to go. So many out there today, you're saying, well, I don't, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I don't need that stuff. No, but what do you need in your world for 2020? 
that goes beyond the natural. I'm praying today that if you're pre-Christ in this moment, that you would respond in the next few moments by surrendering your life to Christ and saying, I'm a sinner in need of a Saviour. Place my faith in you right now, God. I believe Jesus died and rose again for my sins. Forgive me, receive me. If you're pre-Christ, I'm praying that's what you'll do. And there in that moment, receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you're post-Christ, sorry for referring to you this way, but if you're post-Christ, most of you are, I'm praying that if you find yourself dry, cracked and stale, that you'd recognise your position and say, God, I need the oil and I need the wine. Get filled again. Because like never before, on Australia Day 2020, we need Spirit-empowered Christians standing strong and living their best life, be it in the ministry or in the marketplace, be it in schools, universities or public places. We need you. Soft, pliable, usable before God. Can I pray for you right there? Father, I thank you right now that, God, I've done my best with my limited ability to communicate what you have for your people today. And I pray that you would use these words in these next few moments to open up the hearts of every single person in this room from front to back, left to right, that they would find themselves in a place of surrender before you. God, we do acknowledge to you today that our salvation is based upon our continued faith, faithful obedience before you. God, I thank you for your mercy. Thank you that that mercy is new every morning. God, you have called us to be like your son, Jesus, showing mercy like the good Samaritan in this parable. But God, we're so thankful that you did not leave us there beside the road that the law could not rescue us, wasn't even really interested in us. But grace and mercy came along and poured in oil and wine. Thank you for putting us in the inn, the house of God. Thank you for giving us an innkeeper to continually watch over and minister to us. And God, today, I pray that every single person would receive the manifold ministry of your Holy Spirit and most of all allow new wine to be poured in in Jesus name this is the end of the podcast for more information about C3 Rockingham please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055